These are Grindstaff publishing audio files. Room to Rome, Chapter 7, Denmark. The train arrived in the station with the clouds gray and full. A rain seemed imminent. Reed and I departed the metal snake which had twisted and weaved its way from Sweden across bridges suspended above North Atlantic water and into the sprawling train depot which was Copenhagen Central. The station was busy with people of all ethnicities scurrying in every possible direction, while security guards stood at the ready with their bulletproof vests and faces full of apathy. Smiling at the thought of entering the last of our countries together, I glanced at my companion and saw determination and a confidence in his face which I would soon miss. Once out under the gray clouds of mid-morning, the air felt full and new. Cars were speeding by on the roads and pedestrians were hurrying along on their way to work or play or whatever. It was the middle of the week and there was no time to delay. Without hesitation, we entered into the stream of people and were quickly swept along the sidewalk and into an open plaza with the city hall of Copenhagen in all of its glory standing tall above us. The square was full of tourists with a tremendous collection of maps and cameras and hands formed into peace signs. We gathered our bearings and walked toward our hostel. As we had planned, the hostel was quite near the city center, and within minutes, the multi-story face of the hostel came into view, along with the denizens sprawled lazily upon overstuffed pillows and old couch cushions thrown carelessly along the sidewalk. These cheery patrons of the hostel had fists full of drinks and mouths full of cigarettes and smiles and ceaseless conversations full of laughter and perceived whimsy. There were catcalls and jeers from this group as we walked in what we would soon become aware was a party hostel. One of our first clues alluding to the fact that the hostel wasn't merely a hostel was the fact that the check-in counter was the bar, a long, chic expanse with numerous taps and triple the amount of liquor bottles behind it along the mirrored bar back. The man with tattooed forearms, gauged ears, and a fuck-you-too attitude met us, took our passports, and checked us in. After he was through, careful not to break a smile, he offered us a drink then showed us to our room. The room was a large one with five loud, metal bunk beds scattered around it. Buried within two of the beds were young men who were sleeping soundly and snoring loudly, wrestling from our entrance and providing an example of the decibel which the squeal of the beds could truly reach upon the slightest movement. Reed and I exchanged a look with each other then, like we had done for two weeks, with the underwhelmed emotions that is hostile life, we found our own bunks, hid our stuff with a lessening care, and exited the body odor and stale cheese smell of the men's dormitory. Before we left, we gave the hostel a once over. Until then, we had not stayed at a party hostel, and I was curious what the difference, if any, was between it and a normal hostel. The bar was obviously stocked exceedingly well, as was a proportion of attractive, seemingly single young men and women. There were numerous booths situated along the walls of the large square room, which housed a bar as well as low ambient light and a pool table tucked into a corner. The downstairs area was full of games and seats and a smaller bar with a conglomeration of lights used for what I assumed were dance parties, or discos as was common to the European nightlife. As it was before noon on a weekday, the downstairs was completely empty, and the main lobby slash bar had only a couple young guys at the bar getting the day started in what could only be described as adventurous. The patrons sprawled lazily upon the random assortment of cushions, smiled widely as we exited their bar, and a few raised their glasses to a new day, one in which they would only half-heartedly take part in. As to the two of us, 
we were filled with the excitement which can only come from exploring a new place. We walked back toward the city hall and turned to a street which looked good, or looked like a main artery of sorts. Bicycles with cheery-faced riders pedaled past at high speeds at great frequency, some yelling an excited expression in Danish. Our heads swiveled constantly as we took in the architecture of the residential areas, the street art, fountains, and soon came to a bridge which had many people stop pointing at the water. Deep within the murky green were statues. After a quick ask around, we found out that they were a group of mermen waiting for someone to return home. They were beautifully cast, and I looked at their faces and felt sadness and longing. I wondered how many people a day saw these statues, and how many simply walked by without a passing notice. We continued on and along the canal, past large buildings with intricate roofs, one with alligators and curling tails, past a church of some import, then into a bridge over a large body of water and down into an entirely new district of Copenhagen. This district, Nyhaven, was filled with sailing vessels of all kinds roped to the docks with brightly painted buildings behind them and diners enjoying their meals on the cobblestones. The area was inviting and we soon found ourselves walking along the cobblestones with a beer in our hands smiling and laughing at the simplicity of life and the things that make people happy. As the afternoon turned to night, we kept up our wandering and stood atop the bridge over the large body of water in silence and watched as the lights turned on. It was peaceful and calm. That is a marker of a true friend, where two people can stand in silence in an open space and feel completely embraced and satisfied. It is as if the universe cast a unique blanket over the occupants of that particular space and filled it with something more tangible than dark energy, but less mushy than love. It is a warmth which can only be beaten by unconditional familial love, like that of a child or the mother who gave birth to the person standing in that space. The party hostel was in full swing as we returned. Instead of the cushion dwellers being the only life outside the building, there were instead twice as many people standing as there were pillow loungers. We walked through the crowd of accents and peeked out pheromones through the door of the hostel and went straight to the bar. Surprisingly, they had excellent beer on tap, and Reed, being the beer connoisseur he is, found something which satisfied his experienced taste buds, and I found something which would take the edge off a long day of traveling. The room which had earlier been empty with the exception of a few professional drinkers was now swollen with laughing faces attached to hands filled with a variety of elixirs, which sparkled in the dim, ambient lighting. Reed and I found a booth in the corner and began jabbering on about serious jibber-jabber, which he deemed to be important. Few others shared in this sentiment. As we were in the depths of something about Werner Herzog and his connection to filming something in the Amazon, three beautiful girls walked up to our table and sat down confidently, two next to Reed and one to me. By that point, I had had a couple of beers and the thousands of miles away from home testosterone kicked in fiercely and I began conversation. It turned out the girls were in their early 20s and were from Germany. As was the case with many young people on the trip, they were taking a kind of gap year from school and responsibilities and decided to be different and travel to northern Europe instead of the typical sunny south. They were all blonde with green or blue eyes, the kinds of eyes one only sees in a hostel. A kind of starry, anything-is-possible vibe mixed with a hippie wanderer's empathy and courage. The five of us talked about all manner of things, most of all where we had gone and what I was about to embark on alone. After a solid hour of great conversation, an awkwardness cast its dark shadow across our table. It felt like they were waiting for something, perhaps us to buy them drinks or to take them to a club or maybe something as simple as offering them a game of pool. Whatever the cause of the silence, Reed and I read it wrong, and just like that, three cute girls from Germany walked off not to be seen by our eyes again. Would you? I asked with a devious smile. 
Z wouldn't mind if I did, he said. I don't think it counts if I am this far away from her, but I probably wouldn't anyway. It made me smile the way he felt about his long-term girlfriend. It made me miss my ex something fierce, but also aroused in me a kind of conquest-inspired testosterone, which made me wish I had stepped up in the moment of awkward silence with the German girls. It made me wish, if only for a second, that this trip had changed me in some way. Yet in reality, it only made stronger what was already there, and always had been. All the parts that made me were only going to stretch and bend and like an exercise muscle become stronger. I think only a select few individuals can actually change from travel. The rest of us are lucky to experience feelings of enlightenment, self-worth, and motivation. All entities which I fully embraced. The beer kept coming to our table as our conversation kept getting nerdier in the best possible way. The way only my best friend and I could accomplish. Midnight came and went. Before long, it was early morning, we climbed the numerous flight of stairs, passed many groping couples smelling a stale drink along the way, and finally opened the door to our all-male dormitory. The familiar smells of body odor, sour breath, wet socks, and dankness permeated its way to our nostrils in a way only a hostel can. Sleep came easy, but the missed opportunity, whatever that would have been, with the German girls linger on through the night and plundered my dreams a complete serenity. Morning came as it had for two weeks. Snoring men scratching crevices of hairy body parts best left to the imagination. As I rolled over, my head ached from the constant drinking which had become a regularity for our trip. I stared up at the bars of the bunk above me and smiled at the new day, a bright one from the looks of the curtains across the room. Rolling to the edge of the bed, I tucked my long hair up underneath my stocking cap, pulled up my trousers and quietly tiptoed across creaking floor and out the door. To my amazement, Ree was sitting at one of the booths with a coffee and his enormous book of Scandinavian folklore written by Snorri. His blue eyes were bright despite the night of drinking he looked fresh. I, on the other hand, felt the exact opposite. I waved away the offer of coffee and was soon treated to the complimentary breakfast the hostel provided. Those in line at the buffet looked much worse for wear than I felt and it made me perk up just a little bit. After breakfast, we left the hostel. Passed the drunkards outside, stretched across the pillows, and walked on along the canals for a while, until we came to a large statue and a man holding a bright red and white striped umbrella. Across the umbrella was written, Free Walking Tour, and we huddled into the mass of people forming, and within minutes were walking along the city streets of Copenhagen on a tour with a middle-aged Englishman, which had lived in Copenhagen for 20 years. The man was amazing, in so many ways. His knowledge of the city was immense. His sense of humor, impeccable and his love for what he did was incredible. In our three-hour tour, we went to all the major tourist locations of Copenhagen, including the Mermen statues, a church with a boat inside it, examined unique architecture, walked up and down canals, ventured into Nyhaven, walked along the woods above the city, visited the Little Mermaid statue, and finished with a tour of the drug haven that is known as Christiania, a free state nestled in the middle of Copenhagen where drugs are looked over by law enforcement and are essentially legal to buy and sell. Walking through the drug area felt sketchy on many levels due to the numerous signs warning against taking photos and the mass figures of any drug dealer even attempting to sell whatever kind of drugs they were. In an attempt to keep us safe, it felt as if a giant sign had been attached to our convoy of 20 or so tourists, like a beacon to all the drug dealers who were looking to make an extra buck, and equally so to the real dealers who wanted nothing to do with us. The tour ended on the outside of the gates of Christiania, and we all tipped the amazing tour guide with whatever we could. Before departing, many of us asked where to find food and he pointed the majority of us to a warehouse nearby full of food trucks. At first, I was skeptical, but once we walked into the expansive building, all doubt faded. 
As far as the eye could see, there were food trucks of every nationality and cuisine stretched for what seemed like miles. Some places were selling traditional Italian foods, others Hawaiian, some Danish foods, while others were selling hot dogs. The smell of handmade pasta clashed brilliantly with the sickly sweet aroma of freshly made caramel corn. Beer smells mixed with wines while doughs mixed with spices. It was a foodie's heaven if I had ever saw one. Reed and I split up and I wandered throughout the labyrinthian complex that was a warehouse. After three or four laps of the place, I finally settled on my meal, an authentic Greek gyro with pasta and greens accompanied by a craft IPA from a local brewery. I walked out into the fading sunlight amidst one of Copenhagen's many canals and found Reed already diving into a delicious dish of freshly baked pizza and beer. We sat and ate as the sun went down over Denmark and the canals and the talking people and the beautiful world in which we were so lucky to have lived that particular day. Once our food was eaten and our beers were refilled, we began discussing the tour from earlier and how much we both enjoyed it. A part of the tour, not intentional by any means on the part of the guide, wouldn't leave me. Somewhere in the middle of the tour, a young Australian guy, maybe 22, skipped up next to Reed and I and struck up a conversation. The guy looked a little rough. Scraggly hair, hadn't shaven in a few weeks, and his clothes were a bit grimy, even dirty in some spots. The typical questions followed upon meeting. Where are you guys from? What brings you guys to Denmark? Followed by a selfish diatribe of their own story, they were too polite to spout off from the beginning. The difference with this guy wasn't in his questions. Those were asked and answered jovially by all parties, but in his responses. Instead of him acknowledging our existence and quickly going into his own awesomeness, he asked a simple question. How? Reed was only a day away from returning back home, so his stake in his masculinity game was nowhere near where mine was. What do you mean, how? I asked as if offended in the way I conducted myself over the course of the past two weeks. Upon the reception of that question, the Australian guy smiled a smile which had such an extreme self-confidence in it, my guard was let down and I felt my head move back. As we walked with the rest of the tour group, he told me his story. As was established from his accent, and later his telling me, he was from Australia, and was at a point in his life where he wasn't sure what he would do. Like so many of his peers, he had decided to venture off to areas of the world he had not yet seen and ended up in the southern part of Italy three months previous. Once he had arrived, he got work at a vineyard, made some money, and lived free, then ventured up the north of Italy where he bought a motorcycle and crossed much of Central Europe staying at fleabag hostels which boasted the cheapest rent and saving every cent he could. The motorcycle gave out in Germany, and he traded it in for a bicycle and pedaled the remaining distance of Copenhagen as fast as he could for the cheapest he could. When we met him, he only had a few hundred dollars, Australian, in his bank account and not a clue where to go next or how he would get home when his open-ended conquest of Europe was complete. I stood there feeling like a capitalist pig listening to the guy speak. In the three months he had spent in Europe by the time we had met him, he had spent about the same amount as I had in two weeks. Each day I was wondering and whining about the uncertainty of my own travels and how to find an appropriate balance between comfort and cost. And here this guy was, living the dream of everyone who ventures away from their home looking for adventure, and he was spending a fraction of what I was without even trying. Appalled, I tell myself I was done leaving the bourgeois lifestyle of an American backpacker and decided to live as cheaply and as adventurous as possible over the next two and a half months. Reed agreed with me as we sat on the bleacher-like seating of the food truck emporium along the Copenhagen Canal and watched the intricate sunset of that early autumn night. Earlier in the day, we switched our hostel from the party hostel to one built in the 1700s. It used to be a brothel in the Nyhaven district, but was then turned into something of a nicer hostel. Through the dimming light of late September, Reed and I spoke about what we had seen that day and reminisced on similarities between the rest of Scandinavia. The new hostel, the old brothel, was luxury compared to the party hostel. 
Quiet and accommodating, the new hostel's dormitory had the same amount of bunk beds, but with a simple addition of curtains on the beds to add that extra layer of privacy. Somehow the two of us got the last bunks in the room, full of sleeping, scratching men, and I ducked into my curtain bottom bunk and Reed slowly crawled into his bunk atop of mine. Settling in for the night's rest, I pull out my phone and look up news in the contiguous countries of Europe. Refugees were crossing the borders of Hungary, Greece, Sweden, and numerous others across the continent. Some countries were predicting shutdowns of their borders, while others were promising free passage. I found my eyes growing heavy as they scanned the alternating views dancing across a bright screen with the dark faces and the children looking directly into the camera with fear and panic. It would only be a few months until I faced a crisis myself. The next day, the final day of Reed and I as a pair, I woke to a relatively quiet room. Like so many days before, I stumbled out of the room, away from the comfort, and warmth in my bed and into the lobby to find Reed sitting in an overstuffed chair, drinking a coffee with an intelligent stare, gazing off into nothing. Our eyes met for the last morning, and we smiled as we greeted the day for one last time in Europe. We both knew that day was the final one, so what to do? Leaving the hostel, which used to be a brothel in the Nyhaven district of Copenhagen, we strolled lazily past the pedestrians in the early morning sunshine and were happy, if not satisfied, but all that had happened in the past two weeks. Slowly, we walk towards the downtown area and eventually end up near the central station, the departure point for both of us the following day at different times. It happened to be free admission day at the National Museum and we decided to take advantage and took hours admiring the dense collection of Danish history, ranging from pottery, which so happens to be on the currency in our pockets, to swords, to modern day advances. I found the museum fascinating, which spurred thoughts of how young our own country is, at least those people who I descended from and keep gazing at millennia presented before us. Once through the National Museum, we trekked the distance of the Carlsberg Brewery Grounds, one of the largest breweries in Europe, and the intricate museum in which the grounds are held. We paid the obscene ticket prices. Every purchase over 10 euros sends a disappointed face to the Australian wayfarer to mind. Reed and I spent hours gently pacing through the in-depth history of the Carlsberg Brewery, ranging from technological advances to the history of their bottles. We saw where their prize-winning horses are kept, as well as a backstory of their beautiful architecture. For a couple of beer nerds, the tour was a success, and taught us much in the way of traditional brewing techniques and even came with two beer tickets included. The golden skies turned to overcast gray clouds as we left the brewery. Having already booked a second night at the Nyhaven Hostel, we were secured a room and were lackadaisical with our responsibilities. Near the brewery, we found a market at 8. We left talking about the future and how everything which had happened over the last 14 days seemed to be a blur of images, dazzling across a wormhole from the distant hop fields of Oregon to the pastel-painted buildings of Nyhaven. As it happened numerous times over the course of the summer, my head went abuzz with the effects of alcohol and the air smelled crisp and full of opportunity and everlasting ambition. But what were the two of us to do on our last night in Europe as a pair of intrepid travelers forging our way through the footpaths of a distant land? The answer was simple as Reed led us to one of the pristine brewing establishments in the north of Europe. The bar was lined with a shining hardwood floor stretching out leading to matte black finished steel beams and Edison bowl light fixtures dangling elegantly over well-dressed, well-groomed patrons with frothy drinks before them, smiles exciting their faces and looks of gluttonous joy in their eyes. We walked toward the beautiful barkeep, her eyes flirting by darting downward and up again over cheek crinkles and beneath curled brunette hair. The three of us signed the social contract by saying our salutations and were soon sipping curiously from the taster tray of six beers brought to our enjoyment. Over the course of two hours, we sat at the bar drinking our beers slowly and deliberately, commenting on each one. A strange mix of emotions flooded over me and I was caught off guard. 
on the one hand was a welling isolation, one that had not quite reached fruition, but something lurking out in the distance which I knew would overtake me once the sun rose the following day. The other hand held a feeling I was not expecting, confident joy. It wasn't a joy that's weight was felt by re-leaving, but instead a joy felt by the act of forging alone into an unknown so outside my comfort zone it was borderline unbearable to think too much about before anxiety welled up and made me sweat. Up until then, my life had been one of a yearning for those out of my zone experiences, fishing in Alaska or farming in the foothills of eastern Oregon, but this feeling was different. It was immense in a real way, one measured by miles instead of by emotion. What lay ahead of me through the rest of Europe wasn't merely a series of trains, planes, and automobiles, but a vast network of me, winding through the chaos of several countries with their own traditions and languages, and people all to forge an experience I would keep with me until the day I died. Sitting on that bar stool, I looked back at what Reed and I had already done and was immensely proud at the amount we had stuffed into such a short amount of time. In only a few hours, he would leave my side and I would break off into that ether of the unknown and drift on without any form of a lifeline. There is a power in that, and also a fear, a dread which told me I could fail and have to call my trip early, leaving the continent with my tail between my legs and a failure to follow. As I looked off into the distant void, slowly sipping from a taster glass, Reed must have sensed my worry and began rattling off how excited he was for what was to come for me and the stories I would tell once we reunited back in Oregon, back home. I smiled wide and took him up on the offer of forgetting my worry, and we went back to drinking the beers and enjoying our last night of European drinking. We left that bar with my head light and bladder full. The walk back toward the brothel-turned hostel was cool, and the moon peeked through the clouds, casting a shimmering glow off the canal of Nyhaven. Our hostel was quiet, and the front desk held a young man half asleep, reading a book, giving us a nod as we walked on toward our dorm. The room was filled with quiet snores, and the two of us stood beside our curtain bunk, awkwardly for a few seconds before blurting out something about I'll be seeing you back home and hope everything goes well. Awkward smiles and giggles replaced a requisite hug and pats on the back. I crawled into my bunk and closed the curtain. Sleep came suddenly from the drink and without realizing it the dark had given way to a light which spread ferociously from the window overlooking the boats along the canal. I quickly found my phone and saw it was 8 o'clock. Reed had been gone for almost 4 hours and I was alone in Europe. A strand of long, greasy hair fell into my eyes and I ran a sweaty hand through it to push it back with the rest of my curled, dank locks. As it happened the night before, the first feeling which came over me was one of dread, but I didn't like it. I pushed it back and forced myself to take in the beauty which lay before me. A wanderlust which had been brewing in the depths of me for so long, and here I stood at a precipice, looking up at a grand adventure, one which could truly tame that vagabond lifestyle I had yearned for. I smiled and ducked my head. More greasy curls fell over my eyes and I left them there. The person I had always dreamed of becoming was sitting in a hostel far from home and the only thing holding him back was a flimsy curtain. I walked out of that hostel with headphones in and a swagger in every footloose step. I was alone in Europe and I couldn't wait to experience every adventure which lay before me. End of chapter.